If you were here for announcements, you saw a whole slide full of different prayer opportunities that you have places to pray with people, uh, with other people, and um, prayer is very important to us. We believe that prayer unlocks things that have been locked up. We believe that when we pray, somehow it moves the hand of God, and we don't pretend to know how it all works. But we do know that when we partner with God in prayer, when we talk to him, amazing things happen. We got a little bit of time. Anybody do the 24-hour prayer uh, down at Pray Chico besides myself? There you are. There's a few people. Um, At the end of every month, we take 24 hours and pray together in in that location down there on East First and Mangrove. It used to be uh, Locksmithing Enterprises, and now it's Pray Chico, and it's this space that's set aside for prayer. And uh, I just want to remind you or tell you that at the end of this month, the very last day from noon until the first of the month, first of April, which would be at noon, any time you can show up. So for instance, I showed up with my friend Gaylord between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It was very quiet. But there is something about that space. It's so easy to pray there. So if you have a hard time praying, you go, it's just so hard to pray. I feel like I get so distracted. Try it. Just go. You you don't have to sign up. Just show up. I'm here to pray. And someone will greet you. And they'll say, hey, here's all these lists. Here's these binders. Here's stuff to pray for if you want. Or you could just sit in the little chapel and, and be quiet before the Lord. So this is a... This is a growth curve for Neighborhood Church this year, learning to pray, learning to spend more time with God. And sometimes we think prayer is supposed to be this big fancy thing, but I'm here to tell you this morning that the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray is actually very simple and very beautiful. So Jared, if you can give me that first slide, thank you so much. Um, This is part two because, well, last week was a shorter sermon than normal, If you missed last week, um, we started talking a little bit about this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I'll call it the disciples' prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. It probably is both. And uh, so here he is up on this. This is the view. Jesus just picks the best spots to do a sermon, right? This incredible view over the Sea of Galilee, which is an amazingly beautiful place. I wish I could take you all there, Um, but these days it's hard to get to Israel without... Having some issues. So we'll just, we'll go with the picture. And Jesus is up there and he's teaching. And he, I think he actually gave his disciples this prayer more than once because where it's recorded in Luke, it's just slightly different. And Luke is, is hearing or getting his eyewitnesses and Matthew is hearing it um, firsthand. But we're looking at the Matthew version of what, how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. In Matthew 6, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Matthew 6, it says this, This then is how you should pray. And I think this is what Jesus really meant. I don't think this was like, well, kind of a generality thing. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
That is the extent of the prayer. Now, we talked last week about the first three phrases, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. All of those are very vertical, thinking about the transcendence and the otherness of God. These last three, give us our daily bread, forgive us, and temptation, and deliver us from evil, are all really about kind of how we do life in this world in community. And so those are the three that we'll be looking at today. If you missed last week, of course, you can always go to YouTube and catch the sermon or our website. So we'll just keep marching here. This next phrase is, give us today our daily bread. Now, if you are a Jewish person and you are hearing this because they were the original audience, so we always need to be thinking about who's the original audience and how would they have heard this? Well, a Jewish person would have thought of one thing when they thought of daily bread. They would think of manna. Now, manna, this little Hebrew word, actually means, what is it? That's literally what it means. What is this? Because I think that's what they said when they saw these flakes that came from heaven as they were on a 40-year camping trip in the desert without food. God was sustaining them with manna. It was daily bread. It tasted wonderful. It had a honey flavor to it. I love honey. It is a gift from the Lord. So is cheese, but that's for another talk. (laughs) So manna is given every day, and the Lord said, you can scoop it up, make it into flat cakes, put it in the oven, bake it. It was wonderful. But if you try to keep, if you hoard it, and you try to keep some for tomorrow— It spoils, and it's gross, and it's horrible. And of course, they tried to do that, and it didn't work out. So they realized that they had to actually depend upon God every single day. They couldn't just depend on their manna storage. They couldn't depend on their bank account. They couldn't depend on their smarts or the fact that they had really good people around them. They couldn't depend on their job or their boss or the government They couldn't depend on anything else except for waiting till the morning to get more daily bread. I think we can learn a lot from that camping trip. What's God saying? You got to trust me for today. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. That's what Jesus says. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know why? Because it means that while I want to be mindful of the future, I need to live in the present We're supposed to then have this heart posture, Jesus is saying, to depend on him for everything. Not just our bread, although depending upon your situation, you might be wondering, where am I going to get my next meal? But you might also be wondering, Lord, how am I going to deal with the person that I've been walking through a divorce with, and now we've got to figure out stuff with the kids? Or you might be wondering, how am I going to deal with that coworker that is so difficult? I need grace today. Or if you're a business owner, that vendor that has been difficult, and you say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, will you trust me today? Will you trust me today that I've got tomorrow? And that is hard. But this is to be our heart posture. We are to be as he says at the beginning of the sermon, poor in spirit, meaning desperate and dependent on God. This is the same term for a beggar on the streets of Israel waiting for a handout. 
not trying to figure out how to do it on our own because we're so capable, because we're Americans. Oh, I had coffee this morning. It was great. I'm fasting coffee for Lent. Have these feast days on Sundays. By the way, I want to talk about that for a second. That's not an opportunity to drink a whole pot of coffee if you're Andrew, right? (laughs) This is how, by the way, and this is a man-made thing. It's not in the Bible, so don't trip. But so God is teaching me, this is how you have one cup of coffee, Andrew, right? I'm learning discipline through the feast days of Lent, okay? Some of you have kind of tripped out on the whole feast day thing. You can do what you want. You want to fast all the way through? You do it. You go for it. I'm going to have my cup of coffee. So there is this heart posture of dependence on God. And fasting sometimes shows us that dependence, right? Lord, I depend on you to sustain me. That's to be our heart posture. Where are you in a place where you're depending on something instead of God? Would you think about that for a second? Where have you depended on man's provision, your own smarts, something else. We just need to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. So give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Debtors, debt makes me think of money, right? Does it not make you think of money? Okay, just making sure you're awake. You didn't have the coffee apparently, but I did. So this is the part of the Lord's Prayer where everybody trips out. Okay, what are they going to say? Is it going to be debtors? Is it going to be trespasses? It's going to be sins. Ready? 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 Uh, trespasses! Uh, sins! Debtors! When you're quoting the Lord's Prayer. Does anyone else feel like that when you're somewhere? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to say. Here we go. Trespassers! What is the deal with this? I'm glad you asked. The deal is William Tyndale. You see, there, was, there were a few people that translated the Bible the first time into English from the original languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. Tyndale translates the Bible in 1526. That was a minute ago. You can see how the English has changed, just the spelling. These are not typing mistakes. These are not errors. This is how it reads. And forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive our trespassers, right? So this is how Tyndale, um, (laughs) trespassers, uh, how he translated it. Now, where does he get the idea of trespasses? Well, he gets it in verses 14 and 15, right after, right after Um, the Lord's Prayer, it talks about forgiving others their trespasses. Now, what is trespassing? Well, it's when you go on somebody else's property. In this case, it has to do with violating a law, which is God's law. We also call it sin. And this is why if you're reading the uh, the NIV, this is where you see sin, right? So, Andrew, what's the deal? This is really confusing. Is it debts? Is it trespasses? Is it sins? Yes, Hey, good job. You guys are awake. Yes. So what exactly is going on here? Well, 
in a nutshell, because I could probably talk too long about this, is Matthew uses this word that would kind of give you the idea for owing a debt. When we sin against God, we owe him a debt that we can't pay. So when that was translated, it was translated debtors. But then in the same translation, at least in the King James, you see trespasses in that same passage lower, forgiving those who trespass against you. And so the truth is you could use any of these words and different words are used by Luke and Matthew. Now, some of you would say, it should be debtors because this is what it said in the King James that I grew up with or whatever. Okay, you can have your opinion. But we've decided, I've decided, that we're going to stick with uh, what has been true in the common book of prayer. This is where this comes from, by the way. Tyndale's translation is pulled into the common book of prayer. That means Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist. Those traditions say trespasses. Like, well, can't we just update it? Sure we can. We're not going to. Just a decision. You can pray it however you'd like. But we're still praying the same way that my grandmother prayed. And I love that, right? So is it a little antiquated to have thys in there? Hallowed be thy name? Sure. But why do that, Andrew? Why, if we can update it? Because I love the fact that I'm praying the same thing as hundreds of years of people before me. There's no right or wrong. That's just what we're doing here at Neighbors Church. You pray how you want, Right? So that's what the deal is with the whole trespasses, sins, owing thing. Here's the point. Forgiveness is at the heart of the kingdom movement. Jesus is saying, look, it's all about forgiving. It's all about loving your enemies. You see that later in this chapter. What? Love your enemies? Jesus, you're crazy. But forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And if we're going to be Jesus' followers, if we're going to imitate him, we must step into forgiving one another. Just as he forgave us, we need to forgive others. Now, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, here in 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Whew, good deal. But if you, scariest verse in the Bible, are you ready? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Andrew, what does that mean? That kind of freaks me out. It means uh, if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's what it means. Scariest verse in the Bible. I'm just going to let that sink in a little bit. For some of you, your key discipleship step next, where you need to grow next, is figure out how to forgive. Say, wait a second, I don't know that I'm ready to to be in person with, with that person. I've been really hurt, and this has been a hard thing. So don't be in front of that person then. But but it is don't we have to like figure everything out and have everything reconciled? You don't have to do anything. You have to continue to walk with Jesus and listen to him. I wouldn't send someone who's been abused to go and be in the presence of their abuser necessarily. Because forgiveness and reconciliation are different. Sometimes reconciliation can work. And obviously, we are ambassadors of reconciliation. This is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5. 
Yep. However, we see this tender Jesus who says, even when things go wrong, this isn't like, no, you've got to get together and figure this stuff out. There are moments when you've got to step through that and figure that out. But some of you have not forgiven others because you think it's reconciliation and you're not sure how that would happen. And what needs to happen is between you and Jesus. Because you can't enact the revenge that you probably like to, to enact anyway and have them pay. You can't. You're not able to do it. So why not take them off your hook, put them on God's hook, and then pray blessing and say, Lord, I want to bless them. I'm not going to curse them. But God, I'm going to leave this to you. He's the one that can actually enact justice. But he loves mercy. We'll talk all about that when we talk about our friend Jonah in April. So, this forgiveness issue is huge. And I just want to let it settle for a second. Next phrase. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's just take temptation before we get delivered. Okay. I love the fact that Jesus is actually in mo- at moments here, he's echoing the prayers that these people already know. Why? Because he can use things that are already there. God's like, hey, you know this? Let me just build on it. By the way, all good teachers do that. They take you from what you know and then move you to a place where things that, learning things that you don't know. And Jesus is so brilliant. Guys, I just wish you could see how brilliant Jesus is. So he takes from this morning and evening prayer that says, bring me not into the power of sin and and not into the power of guilt and not into the power of temptation and not into the power of anything shameful. This is a prayer that the Jewish people would have been praying morning and night already. This is not a foreign concept like, wait a second, I've never heard about temptation before. You should tell me about that. They're already praying this. Jesus says, you're on the right track. Keep praying this. Lead us not in temptation. So lead us not in temptation. Okay, so what does this make you think of? It makes me think of two times when I believe Jesus was tempted. One for sure in the, in the desert where he's 40 days fasting. By the way, this is the echo of Lent, this 40-day preparation or fasting time that we have. And the enemy of his soul comes and begins to tempt him, Right? By the way, he's led by the Lord into the desert. And yet, because he knows his Bible, because he knows the truth, he stands on the truth, he's tempted, and yet he doesn't blow it. Temptation is different than sin. Now, it's interesting because Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he didn't sin. Meaning that he relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to the things of the world and say yes to the things of the Father. If he was truly tempted, means that he could have sinned. Jesus doesn't, isn't born and like he can do no wrong and he ch- chooses and he's actually, he grows up in obedience, the Bible says. He continually walks with Jesus and says no. He walks with the Holy Spirit and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, no, get my parts of the Trinity right. With the power of the Holy Spirit, no temptation has overtaken us, such as common to everyone else. God is faithful. He'll provide a way of escape for us. 
That's what the Bible says. And so Jesus takes that way of escape three times as he's tempted. I think he's also tempted in the garden, although I don't know that this language is specifically used. And as he's, he's going, Father, let this cup pass before me. I would love to not have to drink this cup of suffering if there's any other way. Father, I am willing. Uh, your will be done. Right? I'll call that temptation. You can label it temptation or not. We can argue later. We don't need to argue. We can just talk. So I believe that Jesus is victorious in at least two places that we see here very clearly that makes me think of and lead us not into temptation. So what's the deal with temptation? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. So I was thinking about my friend Job. He's got a whole book up to himself in the Bible. He had a really rough life. And Job shows us that being close to God will not spare us from temptation, trials, and affliction. This is one of the things that I encounter a lot when I'm down here praying or I'm talking to you when I meet you in Starbucks or wherever. And you're like, I've been doing all the right stuff. I've been reading my Bible. I, I don't understand why my car keeps breaking down and my kids keep yelling at me. And like, the, it's just like, it, the, the, I'm doing all the right things. I'm supposed to be blessed. And we, we so easily think that. If I do all the right things, then my life's going to be easy. You are never ever, 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 not in the whole Bible, promise that your, your, your life's going to be easy. In fact, if you follow Jesus, you can expect trials and persecution and difficulty, but God's faithful. He will even turn the, th- the bad things that happen to you around for your good. But we're not promising everything's going to be okay if we do all the right things. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm just warning you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do the right things and go after what God wants. I want to please him. I want to, I want to abide with him. But I don't take it as a promise that everything's going to be easy. And so walking closely with God doesn't mean that we won't be tempted or we won't have trials and affliction. But we know that God doesn't tempt us because James 1 says, let no one say when you're tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So, what is it? This is the same word, tempting and testing. So, it's going to get a little bit complex here for a minute, but just hang with me. He's the things that we know about God. We always look, whenever we got a little bit of like, ah, oh, this is a little bit shaky, we're going to go back and say, okay, what's true about God? And then we will build from there our understanding to be able to understand better what's happening here. So first of all, God tests those who follow him. We know this from uh, Hebrews 11, talks about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when, te- when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Um, spoiler alert for those of you who don't know the story in Genesis 22, um, God says, sends an angel, says, no, don't do it, and provides a, a ram in a thicket to be able to be sacrificed. Isaac lives. Don't panic if you don't know the story. So God tests those who follow him. What about Jesus, who is God in the flesh? Yes, Uh, John 6, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd, 5,000 plus, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus saying that? The one who created bread, the one who, you know, has all things and knows all things. 
Oh my, what, whatever are we going to do, Philip? Where are we going to buy enough bread for all these people? He asks this only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do, right? Jesus already had a plan, but he wanted to see, Philip, where is your faith? Where are things at? God tests us also by putting us through trials. This is what we see in James 1. Consider it pure joy, which doesn't sound like trials at all. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, later verses talks about, moves us into maturity with God. That's how we grow up. So actually God shapes us through a lot of difficulty and pain in our life. It's one of his favorite instruments. If you read C.S. Lewis at all, you would read all about his megaphone of pain, how he speaks to us. And we see in 1 Peter 1, you have been distressed by various trials. That's putting it lightly in the first century here. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor revelation of Jesus Christ. So God tests us by putting us in situations where we must make a choice between right and wrong. This is why even in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 30, God says, choose this day. Choose life or choose death. God is a God who gives us free will to allow us to choose, which I'm very thankful for. So there are these choices and there are these tests that we go through. Is it this mean God who's like your third grade teacher who's slapping your your hand with a ruler and got his arms crossed and he's scowling and he just wants to make your life miserable because he's giving you a test that you can't pass? No. God's going, hey, even when you're tempted, I'm going to provide a way of escape. I'm going to provide, I have grace for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected even when you are weak. And when you're weak, then you can be strong and you can stand in those times of temptation. So, just recapping, sin is different than temptation. We get tempted and enticed, and if you want to read more about this, read James 1. And it helps us understand that it's our own desire I want, the ch- I want the chocolate cake, I want the chocolate cake, I want the chocolate cake. And then I'm tempted to have the cake, but I could eat the whole cake before anybody gets in here. That would be amazing. It's not sin yet, but now I'm being tempted, right? And then I act on it. I get the cutter out, start cutting a piece, right? Now the gluttony, the sin of gluttony has arrived, right? And now I'm in sin. And by the way, sin always leads to separation from God and death. All right, that's enough on temptation. Thanks for indulging me. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, it's um, the evil one is one of the ways that you can you can you can say evil or evil one. You could translate it either either way, really. So don't let that kind of trip you out. But we know the source of evil is not from God. It is from the enemy of our soul. And oftentimes, I feel like we're a little bit like Theoden, who is the king of Rohan. And uh, for you uh, Lord of the Rings fans, you know exactly where this is going, right? And he does not want to get drawn into conflict. 
And so he's going, you know, let Gondor and let these other nations, they'll figure it out. I would not risk open war, he says. But Aragorn says, open war is upon you whether you would risk it or not. This is the opinion that some people have, even Christians have, about the supernatural world. It was, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. It won't bother me. It'll be fine. And yet, open war is upon you. You live in a world that is at war, and there is a supernatural battle going on every single day of your life all around you. And you can ignore it if you want to. But I don't want to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. That's what Apostle Paul says. Don't be unaware. And so Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, there's an evil out there. You live in a war zone. Let me remind you, this is not just about, your battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not about the, the boss that's treating you badly or the coworker that's been gossiping about you or your family member who doesn't want to talk to you anymore or, or, or some other conflict with people. This is not where our conflict is. There is a spiritual battle going on. This is where we really mess it up as humans because we really think it's the other person instead of trying to figure out how do I love my enemy? And boy, is it difficult. But that's what Jesus says in this sermon. So we got to wrestle through, what does this look like to keep loving people and yet at the same time, understanding what's true and right and good and pure and lovely and putting our mind on those things, says Paul in Philippians. You know, I was just in Cambodia, and um, I learned about these um, bracelets and this spirit string that goes underneath your clothes. If you're a Kamai person, you wear this spirit string, and it has these silver beads on it, and uh, there's been some, some prayers of blessing from either Buddhist monks or others uh, that are kind of like magic spells that you wear around your midsection, and this even starts as early as childbirth, that they would put a necklace around your neck or around your waist or around your, your um, this is called wrist, and um, this is, this is how they think that you're going to rid or off the evil spirits. So they are thinking about evil spirits every single day, right? You get dressed and you're, you see it or you see it, right? There's a visual reminder in Cambodia that there is a supernatural war going on. The bummer is that this actually doesn't protect them from evil spirits. It just shows that they're in this place of bondage. Even outside their buildings, they have these little, uh, you see this gold little spirit house? This is a place where they'll, they'll, they'll put some fruit and they'll burn some incense and like, I'm just gonna make the spirits happy because we don't want any unspirit, uh, unhappy spirits at our house. They understand that there's a spiritual war going on. Now, this is not the way to keep spirits out of your house. In fact, when you're a new believer in Cambodia, the, the, the last thing that they ask you is, have you cut your spirit string yet? Why? Because it says, are you trusting Jesus to protect you from the evil one? Or are you trusting in these things? And I wonder, well, first of all, many of us just don't want to see it. And so we pretend like the spiritual world is not there until you meet someone who is being oppressed by a demon, and then you will wake up to the spiritual world very fast. 
And as someone who has dealt with that kind of thing on multiple occasions before, you will get very spiritual very, very fast. And you go, oh, this is real. Okay, Lord, what do I do? Your prayer life will increase. So there's part of us that just doesn't want to see it, part of us that doesn't know what to do with it, and others that are like, oh, bring it on. And I know that the battle is done on my knees, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm not going to walk in arrogance, but I'm going to walk in confidence because I'm a blood, blood-bought son of the living God. And who, he who lives in me is greater than anything that I will encounter. But I do my greatest work on my knees, asking the Holy Spirit to come and do the battle. By the way, Jesus is the one who is the leader or the captain of the hosts, the, the thousands and thousands of angelic beings that fight on our behalf. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And yet, a reminder here in Jesus' prayer, we need to be constantly seeking him. We need, we need his strength and it's okay to ask for strength. Now, the Lord's prayer has a little extra part. We're going to call it the doxology. And it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't it a nice ending? And you think, but that's not in the Bible. And you would be right. It's not in the Bible. But, but should we add it to Jesus' prayer? Are we going to mess something up? Well, if you need a scriptural reason for it, you can go to 1 Chronicles 29, 11, where David is praying and he actually uses some of these words, and it's a little bit not exactly word for word, but all those words are in that prayer. Well, I love learning from other people who pray, right? If you pray with my friend Gaylord Enns, uh, you will hear him say, Lord, uh, guide, Lord, lead, guide, and provide. You'll hear him say that. So now you'll know when you hear me say, Lord, lead, guide, and provide, I learned that from my friend Gaylord. There's no magical words in it. I just really like it. So I decided to take it on as my own. It's okay to imitate other people's prayers. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Pray like this. Pray like me. So as you're learning to pray, no matter where you're at on your journey, as you're praying with others and you hear something, you go, man, that just connects with my heart. Well, then use that in your own prayers. There is no copyright on that. Are you picking up the jive I'm throwing down? One of the ways to learn how to pray is to pray with others and listen. Some of you are still too afraid to pray out loud. Totally okay. We love you just where you're at. But we would love for you to be with someone else who is praying out loud so you can begin to pick up some of these things that make sense. I was um, talking with a friend last week. I think it was last week. And he said, I just don't have a pattern to pray because I don't know how to do it because I don't have a logical pattern. And, and many of us, we're looking for a pattern and that's okay. So I'm going to talk about patterns and then I'll talk about not having patterns and then we'll, we'll close and we'll be done today. So there are some helpful ideas that people have come up with and I'm going to share a few on the screen. Um, the first one is from Fellowship of Christian Athletes, although they didn't really come up with it. Uh, the middle one is from Navigators, and the middle one is from a website that I saw. And they're just acrostics, right? So the first one is Acts. 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. The idea is that you might start your prayer with, Lord, you're really big. You're really awesome. You're really good. Just telling him how great he is, right? By the way, uh, in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus goes to great lengths saying, don't just babble on in your prayers like those who aren't even Jesus or God followers. You don't have to just keep on saying stuff. Permission granted for short prayers, by the way. Most of us really appreciate it when you pray short. Just saying. Okay? God, you're so great. Okay, that's A. Okay, C. Lord, I'm so sorry. I ate the whole chocolate cake. (sighs) Will you please forgive me? We want to keep short accounts with the Lord on things where we sin. That's still important, even if you're a Jesus follower. And then Thanksgiving. Thanks, God. Thanks for being so good to me. Thanks for the rain. Thanks for the snow in the mountains. You're so good. Rehearsing the goodness of God. And then supplication. This is your list, right? Oh, by the way, God, I got my big list. Here we go. Nothing wrong with that. I've had so many people come to me and say, but Andrew, I can't bother God with my big list. Oh, he's okay. We're not worried about God getting overwhelmed. He created you. And he already knows the stuff anyway. Well, then why should I even pray it? Because he wants to have relationship with you and prayer is a time to meet with him and build intimacy and closeness with him. And so you bring your list. And by the way, it's okay to pray for yourself. Some people are under the impression that like, I can pray for everybody else, but I can't pray for myself. Okay, then let's work you through some some healing then because you need to be praying for your own needs as well. Uh, The prayer hand. This is uh, praise, thanksgiving, intercession, petition, and confession. Similar, right? Praise would be like adoration. Here's Thanksgiving again, by the way. You're going to see it in every one. Intercession is praying for others. And then petition would be praying for your, your own needs. So I kind of do like that. You might kind of pray for other people's needs before your own. That would be kind of gracious of you. But if you're just so desperate, you just go straight to God help. That's okay too. God's not going, oh, you kind of missed those other praise things. So I'm not going to listen to you. No. He's right there with you. And, and then confession. Lord, there's some stuff between me and you. I want to get it right. But Andrew, the confession part should be first. I don't know why these, this is so, don't micromanage prayer. It's a relationship, right? This is just ideas for you. If you don't like it, talk to your friend about it over lunch. Thanksgiving. Um, that's remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Unburden your heart by asking God for help. Surrender, surrender to God's answers. God, by your will be done. I want what you want for me. And then trust, trusting in God's provision, his power, his ways forward. Um, There is Popeye. Popeye has a secret weapon. What is it? Spinach. You all knew that answer. And if I asked you, what is the secret weapon to prayer? You would say, Thanksgiving. Ding, 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 ding. We have a winner in the, in, the, in the front here. Thanksgiving, all of those different uh, acrostics that I just showed you had one thing in common, and that was Thanksgiving. What, where do we find this in the Word? And it's so important to root everything we talk about here, by the way, in the Word of God. 
Work really, really hard to make sure that's the case. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's Philippians 4, verse 6. And then one of my favorites, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Colossians 4, 2. Paul's like, hey, two things if you forget about everything about prayer, keep your eyes open while you're praying because you need to be seeing where I'm moving. And then as you see me answer a prayer, you go, thanks God for that. Now we need more. So if you're praying for someone's healing and you see them like 20% healed, you go, great. Thanks God for the 20%. We're so thankful for that. But Lord, can we get the rest of the 80? But you're being selfish. No, that's not selfish. That's smart. Because God is good. I have prayed for people and we saw a little bit of movement and we said, let's pray again. And a little bit of movement, let's pray again. Like, Andrew, you're so crazy. No, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and you will be, the door will be open to you, right? Those are present participles. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Jesus is like, don't stop praying. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So thanksgiving total secret weapon when it comes to prayer. Not just a holiday where we eat turkey and watch football. Thanksgiving, critical. The older I get, the more I realize Thanksgiving is an absolutely essential piece of understanding God's goodness in the past so you can have faith in the moment and take it into your future. Because we get wobbly about God's goodness, don't we? When things go weird or strange or we pray and we don't see an immediate answer, we get wobbly about his goodness. And thanksgiving brings us back to a place, I'm going to rehearse your goodness in the land of the living. I'm going to remember what you did before and I'm going to praise you for it and realize this is the kind of God you are. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, I don't have to worry about my future. Thanksgiving, secret weapon. Some of you have been tracking with the chosen, and you've heard some what feel like scripted prayers. They're Jewish prayers. This Jewish bedtime Shema prayer is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings sleep to my eyes and slumber to my eyelids. May it be your will, Lord my God, and my God of my ancestors, that I lie down in peace and I arise in peace. May my sleep be undisturbed by troubling thoughts and bad dreams or wicked schemes. May I have a night of tranquil slumber. May I awake to the light of a new day that my eyes may behold the splendor, glory of your light. Praised are you, God, who, whose glory gives light to the entire world. It is okay to pray someone else's prayer, and that one has been prayed a whole lot of times. By the way, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. So if the Jewish thing seems like it's catching you off guard, our faith is rooted in Judaism. One last thing. Praying prayers that are already written is a good way to pray, and it's a good way to learn how to pray. You can also pray through uh, Scripture. We could talk about that a different day. There's lots of different ways to learn how to pray. But I, I want to say this. The, the way my prayer life has changed over the last 30 years the most is I have prayed slower and been more thoughtful. Because I don't want to babble on like the Pharisees in Matthew 6. 
I don't need to pray big words so someone can be impressed. I don't want to impress you. I don't feel like it impresses God. I want to be genuine and thoughtful. And sometimes that means as I'm praying, I'll pray a phrase or something that I'm feeling, and then I'll just wait. And there's that awkward silence. And some of us, just we're just not okay with silence. And it is true, sometimes when I'm just kind of being thoughtful, someone will jump in and pray over me, and oh, that's okay. It'll come back around to me if I'm praying in a group. But what I'm learning is, Holy Spirit, I want you to tell me how you would like me to pray. And I want to be listening for that still, small voice or just that thought that comes into my mind. And so often, hearing from God is just that thought that comes into my mind that lines up with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It makes me want to give more and be more sacrificial, to be more self-giving. And that's when I know, well, that must be God. Yeah, God, I want to, I want to pray that. And so my prayer life has become much more disjointed, shorter phrases, and just knowing, God, you know what I'm saying. I don't have to describe everything. I don't have to tell the whole story in prayer. I can just say, Lord, I'm just inviting you into this place. I need you so desperately. So as we close, I would love for you to stand and pray the Lord's Prayer together with me. Um, And this is a prayer I would love, love, love for you to memorize if you haven't memorized it. Now, some of you have memorized You're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Great. Good job. But many haven't. And so you learn by doing. So we've got it on the screen for you. Um, We are going to use trespasses. God bless you if you love debtors more. I love you just the same. That's just what we're going to do while we pray together. So let's pray this together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Lord, thank you that you don't accept us because of our long-winded and glorious prayers, but you love us just where we are. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to pray in ways that fit who we are, that we wouldn't try to put someone else's style or clothes on that wouldn't fit, but we would clothe ourselves with your ways, which is how you created our hearts. And so, Lord, whether it's a two-word prayer or long pauses in between, or all these things that are spontaneously coming to our mind and we're so excited, we just go, 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 however it comes out. Lord, we want to meet you in the midst of it. So thank you for your goodness and grace. I pray a blessing on this family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great. Two quick things. Uh, Choir's going on at noon and missions prayer in the chapel right out those doors and to the right after church today. Prayer folks, if you'd come down, we we always want you to feel free to come down and receive prayer. And I think some of you are missing out because there are some people that will love you well. Now, if you're like, coming down front feels too weird because it just does. You could turn to somebody who brought you or someone in the pew and you could say, will you please pray for me for this little thing? The best prayers sometimes are very short. 
So the pressure's off. May God bless you today and you're invited for prayer. We'll see you next week.